Well, thank you again for making the time and uh, joining in. My name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, hopeforvermont.org, hopeforvermont.org. And we like to uh, supplement our uh, sermons, and you can look on Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes for other interviews such as this, because we believe people's stories matter. And if we take the time and learn from one another, you can unlearn what you thought was right, relearn what is right, and one with a tremendous story is Aaron Perry. Aaron, how are you? Hey, I'm great, Jeff. I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, and I think we have some things in common, so we're going to start right there. Uh, you possibly were a camper when I was a counselor way back when in the late 90s, but uh, that was in Ontario, and I grew up going to the standard church, and people thought like, oh, you just go to an average church? And I'm like, no, it's a denomination, and there were only three standard denominational churches in the United States of which I grew up attending. Did you grow up going to the standard church? I did. I did. I grew up in, in the standard church in Shawville. So it was one of uh, several, there's several churches in Shawville. There was two sister churches that we did quite a bit of stuff together. One was the Wesleyan church and one was the standard church. Those churches have since merged, but yeah, certainly consider the standard church uh, my, my heritage. And something about the standard church that I always found amazing and uh, brother Conley, Earl Conley, uh, just traveled around to Egypt and then eventually Ghana and um, the standard denomination was all about missions. Can you just talk how that impacted you when you were younger? Did you enjoy those slideshows? Did you take naps during those slideshows? What was it about the standard denomination being across the ocean that kind of uh, motivated you or possibly put you to sleep? Yeah, I don't remember going to... I don't remember going to sleep. If it, if it was, it was just because it was it was Sunday night. That's when we would typically have those stories. And I would have been, you know, five, six, seven years old. And, and I would have been in church that morning and played outside all afternoon and then been in church. So it was a kind of a rest before it. But, you know, I, like instantly, once you say those slides, my mind goes back to like the, you know, like the, the clicking of the of the thing and it, and it traveling through. And it was, I mean, it's weird to think about, but because everything is accessible on the internet now. But, but that was like, a glimpse into a world that that yeah. we knew existed that I knew existed as a kid but that I'd never really been to and so like you said like you hear the stories you see the pictures um you hear the 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 accounts that are that are coming back I love that you mentioned uh Reverend Earl Conley and of course Reverend yeah. Doris Conley uh, yeah. she passed away just a few years ago but she was um, a member in my in my church, I was in, in Brockville at what was a standard church and had uh, is now a Wesleyan church called Centennial Road Church. Yeah. And uh, she was a member of that church. And I remember Mrs. Conley from way back whenever I was a kid. I thought, I thought, uh, I mean, she was musically talented and and I, I thought she was just um, a remarkable person. And, and my estimation for the Conleys only grew as I got older. Hearing their stories, I mean, their courage, right? Like to to pick up and move and create new lives and, and not just once, right. Multiple times. I mean, they're, right. you know, I, I couldn't have framed it like this as a kid, but as I, as I grew up and saw their faithfulness and got to know uh, Mrs. Conley better than Mr. Conley, but as I got to know Mrs. Conley and, and would sit and listen to her and, and just chat from time to time, uh, their love for God was, was tenacious and, and filled with life. And, um, Man, I would have so many good things to say to say about the about the Conleys and and the I would say the um, the nature of my faith has cer was certainly formed by the Standard Church and it's it's outward focus, right? It's it's consistent yeah. um, posture to look out towards Ghana, towards Egypt, towards Mexico as hosting 
uh, different missionaries either in our home who would then speak to our church. That was just a consistent sure. thing. It was a consistent part of our of our our worship, and it was something that was deeply formative. And Mrs. Conley, she was always so much fun. Mr. Conley, it was almost, uh, he was too noble. I, I didn't know if I could goof off. And I was really young at the time, and I was just a goofball anyway. But uh, they would take time for us. And just being a smaller church here in Vermont, it was just amazing that these were world travelers, world changers, that uh, they really made time. And hopefully in ministry, that um, that's something we can do just through God's power and His strength. I just want to bring up your title. It's kind of uh, long, and I misspelt it, so you know that I'm not that good. But Assistant Professor of the- Theology and Leadership at Wesley Seminary. Uh, how long have you held that position? Uh, I came into the seminary in 2016, and most of my classes were focusing on aspects of pastoral counseling. And then I made a shift to teaching pastoral theology and leadership. Uh, in 20, I think it was 2018 that my my title shifted and my and my focus kind of narrowed into those areas. And then uh, for those that are listening, watching, uh, Aaron and I have uh, probably met each other, but uh, we do not have a strong friendship. So I just want to ask you this question, John Maxwell. So when I went to Bible college, John Maxwell was a former Wesleyan pastor and everybody talked about the great John Maxwell. And perhaps in my arrogance or my immaturity, I said, that's great, but uh, I don't need to read this Wesleyan guy. Well, probably seven years ago, I uh, discovered John Wesley on my own, and I think I've read and listened to everything that he's ever put out. For you, when you see someone like John Maxwell, that God's used him from the denomination, but uh, you know, known across denominations, across the world, across religious minds, what are your thoughts on how God could take somebody that is just available and use them beyond their wildest dreams? Man, uh, I think John Maxwell is a, is a remarkable person. I think he has done, uh, given a lot and done a lot of really good. Uh, I'm always uh, really impressed at the writing ability that that uh, Dr. Maxwell and others have to uh, take uh, concepts to take principles and to put them into memorable form, illustrate them with with a different accounts, maybe personal vignettes, experiences, maybe stories from uh, different avenues, different different aspects of the world, sports, business, whatever else, education, and and put it in a way that is so um, cross discipline. Uh, across this uh, applicable across disciplines right into education uh, into pastoral ministry into business into so many different ways people can apply these works and I do I, I, my dad was in education and his boss uh, said I, re- I read everything that John Maxwell's ever mm-hmm. ever written and this guy wasn't a Christian um, my dad had great respect for him as a as a leader as an educator as a, a leader in education um, but faith wasn't something they shared in common but they found a, a common point in talking about John Maxwell and his work. He said, I read everything that John Maxwell has has ever written. Uh, you mentioned about the point about being available. I mean, there's some of this that that uh, I think John Maxwell is uniquely gifted. And frankly, so many people that um, that achieve such levels of, of notoriety and success, uh, there is something that has set them, that sets them apart, that they've, t- they've tapped into, right? They found something that they are good at and they kept on doing it and they got yeah. better. Right. They found what their strength was and they just kept playing to their strengths over and over and over again. It's actually one thing I, I, I discovered from John Maxwell. He tells a story about John Wooden. I think it was John Wooden who said um, 
I'm a better coach when I have better players. Yeah. And, and that's the truth, right? Right. Whenever you uh, play to your strengths, you're, you're just naturally going to do better. And there are some people like John that have just remarkable strengths. What they are good at, they were really, really, really good at. But also what is often connected with that is a humility to recognize what they're not good at and be be willing to team up with people who are are good at those things and then listen to them. I mean, you can bring people around you that are good at what you're not good at and and have a perspective that that um, isn't diametrically opposed, but that is complementary to your right, own. Right. But if you don't listen, if you don't take their ideas, if you don't apply, then it's not going to it's not going to be a good relationship. So whenever I've seen people really succeed, uh, like like John Maxwell is, and success can be a really relative term. But anybody that's that's making an impact in one way or another, they've probably playing to their strengths, and have had some humility along the way to bring people alongside them that are that are humble um, or that can complement those strengths. And then and then delivering the praise, right? Like just affirming, you know, the 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 uh, invaluable nature of those people right. that are are making those things possible. So, right that that available that availability to God, that willingness to say yes, playing to strengths, uh developing uh bringing alongside people that can complement your own abilities. I mean, it's it's not complicated, but man, it really is hard and it takes discipline and it takes hard work and uh it certainly takes um it takes discipline that as often comes from the Lord. Yeah, and a few years ago, I read the book um, Hero Maker by uh, Dave Ferguson and Warren Bird, and it talks about um, just being a hero maker. And sometimes, especially when I was younger, I wanted to be the hero, not to be the hero maker. And uh, the podcast, the Wesley Seminary podcast, that's where I've really gotten to know you. And you do a phenomenal job asking questions and really being that hero maker to promote the uh the topic or the conversations, the highlights of other people. When you first had this opportunity to host, co-host the podcast, were you excited about it or was it somebody else's idea that you took on? This first came to me from a, another organization that they they had somebody that had had stepped up to do some work for them. And through a series of events, they weren't able to to keep them going. And a friend of mine who worked for this organization said, I know who can step in the gap. I was kind of in between some things um, uh, at the moment. And, the, and they gave me a call and they said, hey, would you be willing to step in the gap and, and give leadership to this? And I said, yes. And part of that was a podcast. It was we were doing some work. Um, focused on church planters and trying to develop some resources for church planters. I, I wasn't a church planter. I'd never planted a church. I was never part of a church planting team. I had taken one or two church planting courses in college, but that was kind of the extent of it. But I was like, man, I, I love learning from people and I love to ask questions and I love to uh, spotlight others. So yeah, we can, we can do this. Uh, that, that project kept on going for about 18 months. And then whenever it, it was being wrapped up, I had some, some time and I, and I went to my, uh, my leaders at the seminary here. And I said, Hey, I think we've got an opportunity. I'd love to, uh, and I've got some time. I'd love to give some guidance and direction, some creativity, some creative thinking to the, the Wesley seminary podcast. I said, I don't want it. To, it doesn't have to be mine. I don't have to, to own it all. Um, I need some support and I gave it some support that, that we would need. Cause as you know, running a podcast is, is one of those things that uh, it can eat up a chunk of your time. And sometimes like that last 10% just takes so much effort, right? It takes time and effort. Um, and they were willing to go for it. So they they said, yeah, let's let's do it. And then over the last uh, about three years, we've we've put out a weekly episode. Uh, I think we've maybe missed three or four that, that we've missed over the last three or four, three years or so. And it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I get to talk to people that are are doing really different things that are studying different things that are writing in different ways that have seen God work in different ways. 
And uh, just like you mentioned in the in the start of your our, our conversation here, when you you hear a story, you can start to have your thoughts be challenged. It might have certainly been challenged. Uh, at the same time, I've tried to use it as a as a platform. I talked to the guests about there are people that I think whose voices can can help be uh, a redemptive voice in yes. in a really challenging time. And so I'll say to guests, you know, every book that I have my students read, I want them to read it critically, ask really hard questions. You know, don't assume it's all true. Certainly don't assume that I agree with everything in the book, right? This is this is part of the nature of Christian higher education. But I said, with the podcast, I want some people to put this on and, and listen to it when they go for a run, they go for a walk, they're in their car. I want them to be able to share it with people that they that they trust and that it's not going to be some kind of like surprise at the end, right? Like, oh man, I like the whole thing was 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 not helpful or the, or the whole thing ended up being misleading. No, I, I want voices on there that, I've, that I have a measure of trust for and I've gone through, maybe I know them personally or maybe I've read their work or maybe I know they have wisdom specifically in uh, in the topic we're talking about. And that's really been able to set the tone to keep it conversational and, and I hope uh, engaging to listeners across a wide array of ministry avenues and who are doing different kinds of things in pastoral ministry and in lay leadership in ministry as well. Oh, definitely. And I, I love podcasts. I'm certainly an advocate for all podcasts, but uh, just being part of the Wesleyan denomination, Wesley Seminary, and uh, your voice, you do a great job. Again, Aaron Perry, uh, professor at uh, Wesley Seminary. And I just want to talk about uh, Wesleyan.org because, as we mentioned, we grew up in a very small denomination, now part of the Wesleyan denomination, which is not large by any means. But we have more people at our church here in Vermont in the Northeast that have no idea what a Wesleyan is. They just know that Jesus loved people and we're trying to be like Jesus. What is it about the Wesleyan denomination, Wesleyan.org, that has not only uh, brought you in, but has held you closely? Uh, so a couple of distinct features, I think, of the Wesleyan church. One is a desire to be uh socially engaged and responsible, right? We we recognize that uh, Christian faith is a is a personal faith. It's one that that impacts uh, individual lives. There's one that uh, that changes individual lives, but there's also an outflow of that. That necessarily the Christian faith is one that ought to be impacting others. Now, in a way that that's that's a broadly evangelical way of looking at things too, a traditionally or historically evangelical way that. Uh, the faith that makes a difference in my life ought to be making a difference in the lives of those around me as well, and ought to be making a difference in the lives of the community in which I live. So there, our namesake, John Wesley, uh, he was very active in social issues of his day. He was often writing. He was writing books that would uh, uh, engage people in uh, in medicine um, to to help alleviate some of the the suffering. He was active in developing lending uh, agencies. We talk about uh, micro loans. He had he helped worked to, to develop micro uh, micro loans system of of lending out, um, and he was also very active in developing small groups and and context of discipleship where people could have support. Now, I want to bring this back to the to the standard church for a second, because this was one of the things that I started to appreciate about about my heritage. The standard church had many of the same kinds of of affirmations. I mean, it was in its roots, Wesley, and in a, in a same way, certainly influenced by the Methodist movement. But the one of the things about the standard church, and this happens with any denomination, is that you have uh, rules that that get developed and then get passed along and passed along and passed along. And at some point you start to wonder, why do we have that rule? So whenever I was a kid, one of the things that we just did not have in our home was playing cards. 
we just didn't have playing cards. I don't know if that was that a rule for you too, Jeff. Oh yeah, and I can't right. shuffle. So whenever we play cards, people get tell whether it's Uno or anything. They're like, "Oh, you grew up in one of those homes," because I can't shuffle. Yeah. Okay. So so we didn't have cards, and I and no one ever really explained it to me. It was just kind of those. It's like, well, we just don't do that. And I was like, okay, you know, you know, you know. So uh, until one day, somebody finally explained it to me, and they said, they said back um, in our in our region at least, one of the things that part of the local economy was was dads especially would go and they'd be away from the home for for lengths of time at a time to work in in timber so they'd be away from their home and they'd be making money and whenever you're away from your home and you're trying to make money you're still finding pastimes right whenever you're not working and so one of the things that they would do as a pastime was was gamble and what would they use to gamble playing cards so the standard church developed a rule that said you know what we we want to make sure that whenever these dads come back they come back with the money they've left to earn because we think that that parenting is important and moms and dads providing for their families is really important. So we're just going to, we're going to make a rule and we're all going to be in it together, right? We're all going to be in this together that we're not going to play cards. And suddenly I was like, that makes total sense for me, right? That makes total sense to me. The way that that started to get applied. So we, I mean, uh, this is one that's an ongoing issue, but one of the things about the Wesleyan church is that uh, it's elders, it's ordained ministers don't drink alcohol. And I'll tell you what, whenever I was in pastoral ministry and I was in discipleship groups with people who would would open to me and say they had um, issues of alcoholism. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it was really easy for me to say, like, man, we're not, we're not going to drink. You know, you, right. you got a place here that's going to be totally free. It's going to be really safe. And we're not judging you. We're not judging anybody else. We're just going to make sure that this isn't going to be an issue for you. So whenever um, I was able to start to connect up some of those rules with the relationships, when I was able to connect up some of those rules with the mission, then I was able to say, yeah, you know, personally, I still I still don't drink. That's something I don't do. I do play cards because I don't think that that's still uh, an issue. Uh, that's not that's not really a, a, a factor into that anymore. But um the, the Wesleyan church and the standard church that I grew up in, it was really intent in in having people who were willing to make sacrifices for the good of those around them and to have a, a witness. Um, the last thing maybe I'd say about John Wesley that I've really appreciated is just the the discipline that they that they had. Now, once again, this can be one that kind of gets uh, off off kilter. Uh, so some of the rules that that Wesley had in the discipleship groups that they would have one of the things that that they would keep track of people was um, was were they using their time correctly, right. and so they would discipline people for for improper use of time. I'm like, man, that's pretty that's pretty intense. Um, but I I have grown to appreciate the discipline that John Wesley had and Charles Wesley, his brother, had, and that others called the Methodists that they had that they had discipline, and that's really been a helpful thing for me because I'm able to. Um, have some rules in life that aren't, aren't ones that I'm trying to export to others, but that help keep help keep me grounded, that help keep me involved um, uh, in my walk with God, and that I know it's not going to steer too far one way or another uh, without being drawn back to the center through some of these discipline practices, like scripture reading, uh, like like prayer, um, um, like uh, corporate worship, being in being in worship. Right? These are rules that have really helped me in my own. Uh, journey with Christ. And Aaron Perry uh, from Wesley Seminary makes some time. And for me, I uh, I agree. And I think those guidelines or disciplines are so important. And we learn to surrender to what God has for us. Going back to a quick point you made, rituals, traditions, there's a reason why they were so important. But sometimes we just do them, obey them, or resist them. 
simply because we don't know why or what they stand for. And I just uh, appreciate you bringing that up. Backing up for you, how did you grow up? Did you grow up in a strict Christian home? Did you grow up in a non-Christian home? When did you really make that faith of believing in Jesus as Savior your very own? Man, that's uh, a couple of questions there. Let me try to, to sort them out. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I mean, I suppose what counts as strict is relative. I, <laughs> I, I found some things that we did or that we didn't do to be kind of like frustrating. So we had a pool in our yeah. backyard. It was a great place to be. I love swimming in the pool. That was a, definitely a highlight of my childhood. But we never we never used it on Sunday. That was a rule we had. We never used it on Sunday. And that was, that's a rule that I'm like, I can see my parents wisdom in it and they had rationale for it. It wasn't, it wasn't just something that was uh, um, implemented without any kind of consideration, but it's not a rule that I follow. So now I live in a, I live in a neighborhood and we have a a neighborhood pool and I'll go and swim in that on Sunday. You know, somebody might say like, man, that was a strict home. And uh, for me, it didn't feel strict for me. Like we had, we had fun in our home and we had lots of laughs and we enjoyed being together and it was, and and looking back, and even in the moment, I saw that man, the Christian faith is what is is what is giving life to our home. It's right. what it's what um, my dad worked really hard. He was in education, but I never wondered where my dad was going to be on on Sunday. He was yeah. home. He was home with us and and spending time with us. We were, you know, sports fans, maybe watching Blue Jays baseball Saturday night. He was home. He was home watching Toronto Maple Leafs yeah. hockey night in Canada with us. And I saw that it was the Christian faith that really grounded him. I mean, he was a, he was a talented guy, and he and he had a really good career. But but his Christian faith definitely formed it, um, and and in some ways in some ways chastened it. So Christian home, uh, we were in church every Sunday, often twice on Sunday, sometimes on Wednesday night. When I got a little bit older, my cousin, uh, my cousin Neil and I would spend uh, Wednesday nights together, uh, enjoying. Uh, just playing hockey in the basement while my parents were out at prayer meeting. You know, that, so it was it was a delightful home that I grew up in and definitely formed, uh, helped to inform my faith. Uh, one of the things that's true about all of us, though, is we have to be able to uh, narrate, give understanding to our experiences before we can really claim them as our own and see what yes. what thoughts to be on ourselves. Yeah. And so there's definitely a few spots along the way that uh, you come kind of face to face with with what it is you think and you ask. Oh, do do I believe this? If if I if I kind of do, why? Uh, if I don't, why did I stop believing it? Because it was given to me, and it was something that was given to me. Uh, a couple points along the way that I would say were really important to me. Uh, one was after finishing reading a book by C.S. Lewis called "Till We Have Faces." I read that book when I was about twenty years old. I was in uh, Bible college at the time, and uh, certainly reading it, uh, the story tells the story is about a a young woman who lives most of her life behind uh, a mask. And in order for her to come to know uh, the gods in the story, it's not, it's not written with a, it's not written in a, a Christian sure. uh, universe, so to speak, but whenever for her to know the gods, she has to take the mask off. She has to take the mask down. Mm-hmm. And part of this is owning who she is, owning her identity, recognizing you know, maybe to put it back into an earlier part of a conversation, owning what are her strengths, what are her weaknesses, how has she been formed? She grew up with an abusive father in the story, and that story, that story from Lewis, really, really uh, struck home with me. That I was gonna, I, I realized, you know, if if Christian faith is going to be as an important part of my life as I I am saying it is, and as I'm studying for it to be then I've got to develop some some practices of authenticity. And I've got to be a person who's willing to take the mask 
off and and really be known deeply by by people and the fact is whenever we allow ourselves to be known deeply by people we get a sense of how truly god knows us and when we have a sense of how truly god knows us that's when we understand how powerful and potent is the love of god it's not it's not a love that's given to us immaturely it's not a love that's given to us blindly it's a love that god lavishes on us fully knowing us right fully known and fully loved so that was definitely one of those that was a, a season of reading that book and reflecting on it and and struggling through prayer to to see is is the christian faith something that i really want to own as well yeah that's uh, really good another another time i would say of, of asking was it going to own the was the christian faith going to going to be something that was was owning my life was when i was uh, just about to graduate seminary and I was kind of reflecting on um, is uh, I've been I've been studying to do uh, be in pastoral ministry for six six years uh, and I'm going to graduate and I don't know if I can do this job right and just kind of having it out uh, with God uh, could I trust him right could I trust him in a sense with my past could I trust him with my future that that he's brought me to this place um, is he going to sustain is he going to be faithful through uh, through it, and I think that's one of the really interesting things about Christian faith is that there are there are moments where people, in a sense, know nothing about God or have thought have thought nothing about God, and then God just intervenes, right? Like out of the yeah, out of the yeah. blue, suddenly through a a person, an event, an experience, whatever, and God's there. But a lot of times, there have been seeds that have been sown along the way. Maybe growing up in a Christian home, or maybe having a a family member, a friend who is a person of faith, just kind of sowing those seeds. And a lot of times you're able to look back and discern, oh, God's been active in so many different ways that now it's it, as you narrate your experience, as you reflect upon your life experience, you're able to to say, oh, this is the theme. This is the way God has been weaving these things right. together. And now suddenly they they had meaning before, but it's like the meaning of them is just totally illumined whenever the light of God is shone upon them. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, a couple of quick stories, I guess. Uh, when I grew up, my parents would not let us watch TV on Sunday. And uh, we didn't have cable, so that was the only time you could watch sports, except for Hockey Night in Canada, which you Canadians, it is what it is. Uh, but I did learn to respect what my parents were trying to teach from that. And now, again, we watch TV on Sunday, but you understand that you go to church. And I think how we brought were brought up, if the church doors were open, you were there. And that wasn't necessarily bad. That actually was like, you don't have to question, am I going to go to school when you were a student? You just yeah. went. And I just yeah. really appreciate how my parents brought me up. How, how you said how we learn. Um, when I was at college at Kingswood, well, Bethany Bible College at the time, my friends would be praying for money. They would go to the mailbox. They would open their mailbox and there'd be a check in the mail. For me, I'd be needing money or wanting money, and there'd be nothing in the mailbox, but somebody at church would say, hey, Jeff, can you split wood? Can you mow the lawn? Can you rake leaves? And uh, sometimes we actually need to experience um, God's goodness, and God's good, whether it comes in the mail or uh, we kind of work for it as well. But Aaron, and this isn't, well, I guess it is a question for you because you work at Wesley Seminary. Why did the Wesleyans think it necessary to have their own seminary when there are some other really great seminaries out there? And I just want to bring up the website now that uh, people can go to Wesley Seminary and here on screen. But uh, what is your understanding of how Wesley Seminary came about? Yeah, uh, 
part of it. Pardon me. The, the light just came on. Maybe that's a maybe that's a sign. Uh, the uh, absolutely, there are many great seminaries, and and one of the the aspects of Christian faith around the world right now is that there's no shortage of educational opportunities here in the United States and in Canada. Right? There's so many educational. Uh, systems, opportunities, organizations, institutions to be part of. I, I went to Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. It was one of the uh, approved seminaries that the Wesleyan Church had before Wesley Seminary at, at IWU here existed. And I loved it. I loved I loved uh, Asbury Seminary. I still have friends who are there. I talk with some of their, their professors and consider them uh, colleagues and people that I've, I've absolutely learned from. So uh, that is, um, I want to make sure that that's, that's really clear. Um, but at the time, so Wesley Seminary just celebrated its 10th uh, anniversary. And at the time that it started, uh, that's a couple of years ago now, but at the yeah. time that, that it started, the online component, right, the, the piece of doing online education was just getting started. It, it wasn't really off the ground. And one of the things that um, Wesley Seminary said that we're going to do differently, and others have have gone in this, this direction, but that we started doing was saying, we want to come to where the students are, right? If if they're they're in the ministry, that we don't want them to uproot and change and come to us. We want to go to where they are. So we did that through online education. We did that through intensive training. We did that through uh, uh, seminars. Uh, we really wanted to be on the ground where students were, and the connected with that was we wanted to be a really practical seminary so that there was things that people could apply over the next one, two, three weeks, even while they were being prepared to be persons of character that could survive 15, 20, 25 years in ministry, depending on where, where they had been getting started. So there was a real value to educate people that otherwise weren't going to get a seminary education and using online avenues and trying to have a faculty that was mobile and wanting to be uh, active in practical ways and doing practical scholarship, that is still deeply embedded in our mm. in our DNA. So one of the things that I I love about teaching at the seminary is that my students are are all in ministry. I mean, they they maybe have 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 a break for the moment, but the all so many of our assignments are presuming a, a ministry context, and so my students are in ministry anywhere from lead pastor of a multi-campus church to a person who's doing five or ten hours of of ministry uh, in the local church as a, as a volunteer to chaplains, people who are engaged maybe in a healthcare system or maybe in the military, they're all they're already active in serving people in the name of Jesus Christ in one way, shape or form. And what that allows, one, it allows me as a professor to tailor assignments right to where they are. But really uh, the other learning component of that is they learn from each other. Right. It forms a cohort model where you have not just people who are together in a, in a classroom and sharing their experiences, which is really valuable. But they're also these are these are people who are in the in the ministry. They're they've preached on Sunday or they just organized uh, a ministry or they've just been in a counseling session and they're able to assimilate and then synthesize these learning experiences so that they pick up uh, They're encouraging They're resourcing They're They're teaching one another, which is a different education model. So one of the. Um, teaching teaching adults right it, what i say is so much of my job is to help people know what they already know and then to help them share it with one another right so the classroom yeah. becomes a teaching environment it's not just for me to them it's a it's a learning environment and i get to learn and they get to learn and and we pray effective ministry happens and that god is glorified as we are doing our best to love them with our our minds in this case 
That's so good. And uh, you mentioned uh, Centennial Road, Standard Church, now Wesleyan Church. It's actually in Lynn, Ontario, and I did my practicum internship there uh, when I was at um, Bethany Bible College, Kingswood. And Lawrence Croswell, I have such respect for him because my understanding of the story is the church he pastored was right around 20 to 30 people for years and years and years. And his faithfulness and then the team and just God's goodness, the church really grew, especially for that area or any area. When you hear stories about Lawrence Croswell or other pastors that stand the test of time in one spot, how important is tenure? Can you teach that? How do you teach that for people just to stay and be faithful in those places? One of my colleagues here, he's since retired, named uh, Dr. Chip Arn. Uh, he would say um, it takes about seven years for ministry to really start to take root. Yeah, you know, it just, ta- it just takes time to be into the mag- imagination for imaginations to get reformed, for practices to sink in, so that they become just what you're automatically doing. Um, for for people to know you and to know. And for you to know them, he said it takes about seven years to, to get started. And then there's patterns that exist after that. But absolutely, Lawrence Croswell was one who set an example of a long term in ministry. And there's a couple of ways you can look at long term in ministry. And I have as I've gotten older. So I just turned turn 40. I've got a long ways to go, I pray um, in ministry and and uh, and life, of course. But uh, one of the things that I've grown in more and more respect for is that sense of of longevity, whether it's longevity at, at one church, whether it's longevity in ministry, whether it's just longevity and holding on to the faith and being one who who perseveres. I mean, you think about how the New yeah. Testament is so encouraging to of people to persevere in the faith. And there's a reason there's a reason that we give glory to God during a Christian funeral when a person has run a long life's race of faithful living towards God. We give gl- glory to God because it only happens by God's grace. Uh, and I think there's something about that that's symbolized whenever the, the pastor is faithful. Maybe they've been faithful in one church or maybe they've had uh, a faithful ministry that's been spread a couple of different churches. And there's advantages to itineracy and being moved and there's advantages sure. to being left in one place. And sometimes it depends on the personality. But you really named it well, that 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 there's something about faithfulness that is symbolized in, in longevity. Uh, I think Lawrence is one. Uh, I learned a lot from Pastor Lawrence and he was a family friend and friends with his sons, uh, his influence. I'll, I'll say this about Lawrence. Whenever I went to the church to, to pastor after he had retired, I, I would say there was no one who was a bigger cheerleader. Hmm. Pastor Lawrence was, was just, he, he wanted he wanted uh, anybody who came after him to, to grow and, and thrive and succeed and and to be recognized. And he was a, such a cheerleader. And there's something about that that I think is um, you, do, you don't stay too long. a pla- You don't stay too long in a place if you're not able to cheer other people on. Right. Right. If you if you don't have the humility that just delights in the success and growth of other people, then then you have to go somewhere else where you can you know, be unique and be original and make a name for yourself and, you know, be the, the center of attention. And if, but if you are, if you have, so pastors that have had any kind of length of time at a church, uh, you're, you're probably looking at a pastor who has a measure of humility to, um, to invest in others and to share accolades with others. 
wise words. And uh, this is Aaron Perry. Uh, he's a professor at Seminary or Wesley Seminary. You can find more information at seminaryendwest.edu. Indiana Wesleyan is what that stands for. I just wanted to call attention to something that's taking place tomorrow, I believe, and that's uh, Keith Loy is going to be joining, and you can find information there. Keith Loy, uh, South Dakota uh, pastor, uh, church planner. Can you just talk about the Wesleyan denomination, the importance of church planting, and uh, I just look at Keith Loy and just see that success story, but can you just address the importance of the Wesleyans looking how to church plant and advance the kingdom that way? Yeah, church planting was something that, that really seemed to come on the scene about 25 years ago, and, and Wesleyans haven't let it go away. We've just shifted the way that we've we've kept on churching, planting churches. One of the things that we've discovered along the way, and, and this comes from Aubrey Mal, uh, Malfers, is that the fruit of, uh, the fruit of a, an apple tree is not an apple. The fruit of an apple tree is another tree. Right. The way I put it like this, the fruit of good of good preaching is not more listeners. The fruit of good preaching is more preachers. And yeah. there's just a natural way that the Christian faith is replicating and wanting to go and grow um, and impact uh, the cultures where where it's found. And church planting is the way of doing that. Right. How do we set up new communities? So different ways that we do church planting now. I mean, one of the ways that we do it is with satellite campuses. And, and that can be done. That's more in a planting way and less in a planting way. Uh, but it's still a multiplication model. Uh, we have ch uh, churches that are planted just by seeing a pioneering kind of person that God has raised up and they're they're given resources and and support and they're put into a place and they and they just start. Uh, we have we have churches that start through people who are bivocational, right? They're nurses, they're teachers. Um, they're contractors. They do they do other things to pay the bills, and then they they have uh, churches that they're starting on the ground. A former student student of mine named Brian, he's doing just that very thing down in the Carolinas. Uh, he's he's working a, a full time job in retail, and he's uh, he's getting a church started at, at, at the same time by doing some Bible studies. And one of the reasons that church planting can be so effective is that. It can, they can sometimes remove the trappings or the preconceived notions that people have about what church is. That's like, well, you meet you meet in your home, like, yeah, that's, that's where we meet. Like, I don't have to go to the building. No, we're just we're, we're gathered here. You know, we're we're going to look at the Bible. Like, well, you're not going to you're not just going to like like talk to me about the Bible. No, we're going to discuss it. Right, we're going to learn it. We're going to learn about it. And this doesn't mean that there's no sense of like pastoral authority, or it doesn't mean that there's nobody that everybody like the phrase is. There's it's not just sharing of ignorance. No, there's there's actual teaching that's happening, but it's woven into conversation. Right, it's woven into into the the teaching moments as as people are are gathered together. And I've really appreciated that about about uh, the Wesleyan Church. So it's been really keen on seeing that there's different kinds of of uh, church planters. There's different kinds of church planting models, but there's a heart to resource them both, and there's a heart to encourage them both. And uh, you, you know, you can resource through mothering churches that are providing support. You can resource through denominations or or networks of churches, as well. Um, so, be, you mentioned the Wesleyan Church can be a small denomination, and it and it is a small denomination. One of the benefits of that is it can be nimble as well, yeah. and you can you can push down a lot of the strategy into smaller and more local communities to uh, effectively 
uh, strategize and and take missional steps, whether church planting or whatever else, right? You can push that down into smaller and more local communities in, we hope, effective ways. Now, sometimes it just it just isn't effective, but I want to tie that back to something that we talked about earlier. I talked about the the seeds being planted, right? And, mm-hmm. and rarely along the way does God just kind of show up out of the blue. It Does it happen? Sure, it happens. But so often God is working in other things. And one of the things that I learned uh, along the way, and applies not just to church planting, to other leadership endeavors as well, is you can either look at things as, as trying to launch something or as trying to plant something. Yeah. And if you plant something and it uh, and and it grows for a while and then it dies, it, it still nourishes the soil around it, right? So we've had lots of ministry. Into, I mean, I can't tell you how many ministries I've been part of that I tried to get started that just failed. You know, they just didn't go like they we met once and that and it was like oh that's not going to work got to retool but what it did is it, it sowed the seeds for for other ministries and likewise with church plants you know you have people that go to cities and maybe the the vision that they that they had that and maybe that god had given to them it didn't come to fruition but two three four years later that there's there's seeds that are growing up from it when somebody else comes and now they're they're watering seeds that were previously planted i mean it's just amazing to hear the stories that god will do uh, over time when people are obedient to step out in faith as any church planter has to do they step out in faith they step out in courage they step out in obedience to god and and really they just they say god would you take this i mean you think about the conleys you mentioned the conley right. right fruit still being born because of things that they did 50 years ago yeah and that really begs a question at least for me to you uh our church seemingly was growing we had a lot of great momentum moving forward it was going well and smoothly and then the pandemic happened and we are now well the great reset as some people are calling it but i was speaking with a friend that now we know how to grow to the point we were without making all of the mistakes we made previously to get to that point for you, what advice would you give to your students or to those that you interact with about being so discouraged because we have taken a step back in so many ways about how we can be propelled forward because we do have that experience. We do have that knowledge of being there before. And I like the expression, return to familiar, not return to normal. So mm. how do we get back to that familiar? Yeah. Maybe I'd come at it by answering like this. Henry Nouwen has a great book called In the Name of Jesus, subtitled Reflections on Christian Leadership. Yeah. And one of the things that he says we, that he talks against is the the idol of relevance, right? The idol of, of being relevant. Now, there's a measure that that's a loaded word. And, you know, I don't want to sneer at it at all. And and there's a way, you know, to be relevant, you actually have to know people in your community. You have to, you have to extend invitations that make sense to them. You want to have ministry that's actually meeting needs that they actually have it's giving education that actually makes a difference yeah there's, that's that's being relevant and that matters um but there's a piece of it that now and says um you can do all those things but they don't necessarily address needs that are always ongoing like isolation loneliness um uh powerlessness uh feelings of of being taken for granted right they like those things all matter and you can kind of take them for for granted but they don't necessitate actually speaking to really deep moments and needs and wounds in people's lives and here's the truth what the pandemic allowed was uh what 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 one of the things that it allowed was god showed that a lot of people in spiritual leadership they had those things too and i was one of them yeah. 
right? I was one of them. And and I'm grateful for, for the university that I serve at. They made resources available to talk to people. And I had a friend that said, Aaron, I think you should talk to a counselor. And it wasn't like a make or break kind of thing. It was just like, man, I think this would be a benefit. And I interviewed a church planter named Tim Mori on the on the Western Seminary podcast. And he said, man, I have a spiritual director. He's like, I couldn't plant a church without a spiritual director. He's like, he pays him. And I, and I was like, that, that's great. Like, um, one of the reasons that you would pay a spiritual director is because it simplifies the relationship, right? Pastors are so good at caring for other people, but if you're paying somebody else to care for you, then you're like, listen, I don't have to care for you right now. This is about me and, and my care is shown to you and what I'm paying to you. And he said, this is such a resource, right? If you're going to plant a church, if you're going to be in pastoral ministry, we cannot ignore that pastors can be ones who struggle with isolation and loneliness, maybe clinical depression or clinical anxiety, maybe just feelings, right? Feelings that, that they're not clinical feelings, but they are feelings that need to be attuned to and not just ignored. And the, the pandemic really allowed people just to kind of name that. I think they were able to name that. And because it was so widespread, they were like, oh, the shame of that can be taken away, right? So whoever's listening in, if you have some of those feelings, those, those aren't feelings of weakness. Those aren't feelings of being less than, or those aren't feelings of lack. Those aren't feelings of, of not being a strong person. Sometimes those are just the feelings of life that you go through at different seasons. But uh, what you want to be to others, right? What The pastor, the shepherd, the caregiver that you want to be to others in the name of Jesus, you need that too, right? You need those resources too. And so I would say, you know, the return to, it's not a return to normal, but there is a return to familiar can be, we're still doing some of the same things. Yeah. I mean, um, Kenda Creasy Dean, she's a, a professor of youth ministry. She had this great line. She said, one of the things that's really neat about the Christian faith is that it's been around for 2000 years, still pretty recognizable, right? Yeah. What do we do? Yeah. We gather, <laughs> we sing, we pray, we, we read the Bible, we celebrate communion. I mean, there, there's not a whole lot more things that, that are kind of making up the Christian worship service. And and then you look at the Christian's life through through the week, right? What do they do? Like, they probably have spiritual practices of reading the Bible and praying, maybe fasting, maybe fellowshipping with other Christians. You know, th there's there's many similar there's many similar practices, but those things can have a healthy familiarity that orient us, that ground us. But but there is a sense of those can also be have fresh life breathed into them. And I mean, depending on where, where listeners are with, with pandemic protocols and those things, right. uh, man, it was so good to be back in church and, and sing with full voice. I mean, like, like I missed it. I was at home, sitting on my couch. I'm still singing. It's kind of awkward, but I'm still saying I'm still participating with my local church. It's not the same, but man, it was so good to be together. And suddenly like those familiar practices, they were breathing fresh life because I wasn't taking them for granted. And part of the reason I wasn't taking them for granted is because I was allowing some care to actually come uh, to myself uh, in different ways, but at least for a season with a counselor. Oh, that's so good. Aaron, thank you so much for making the time today. Aaron Perry, and uh, you can find more information at seminary.indwes.edu. That's seminary.indwest.edu. And uh, we'll get you out, hopefully, a couple fun questions. Uh, Kurt Perry, as you mentioned, is your cousin. And when I was a freshman, I believe he was a senior at Bethany Bible College. And he always dressed up as The Undertaker. Like he tried to intimidate us or that was just part of the uh, initiation or whatever he did as freshman. Uh, was he always that big bad cousin that tried to intimidate you? Because he's a big teddy bear. So uh, how is your cousin really to uh, all of you cousins? Oh, man, he he is. Uh, I love I love Kirk and I love being his cousin. And 
And I knew whenever Kirk was around, there was going to be something entertaining happening, right? I'll, I'll leave it at that. There was going to be something entertaining happening. Maybe it was going to be frustrating for some or frustrating for all. There's going to be something entertaining happening. And I mean, like Kirk and I are, are alike in this. Kirk's one of the few people that I'll like try to go toe to toe with an argument or, or something, you know, that we don't see eye to eye on and we can go toe to toe and just like have it out. And I know that we're going to be, yeah. we're going to be buddies for the whole thing. Right. Cause he's, he's a, he's a good thinker and he's, and he's a, a good talker. And so I know we're going to, we're, we can have it, we can have it out, have a, a knockdown drag out argument. And then we're just going to laugh, you know, when, when it's all over. And there's very few people that I can, I feel like that with, and, but he's one of them. No, Cooker's great. The other question I have for you, and I probably should have figured out this off air. You mentioned playing hockey with your cousin Neil in the basement of the church on a Wednesday. Would that happen to be Neil Horner, or is that a different Neil? No, the one and only, the one and only Neil Horner. He's your cousin. I love Neil Horner. He's the absolute best. I, I love that guy. Man, I mean, these the 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 lore of of cousins between Perry's and Horners is pretty strong. Uh, but I mean that that. I'll put it like this as well. Um, when you asked about like being raised in the church and what was my family like, I mean, I was always surrounded by, by fellowship of yeah. people who love Jesus. And, and Neil is uh, four years older than me. I mean, I'm at, I looked up to him so much to see like, how is he wrestling through his faith and asking questions and doing so responsibly and, and, you know, wanting to serve God, you know, what a gift, what a gift it is. I was the youngest, not of all my cousins, but almost all of them yeah. to be able to have people to look up to. And so I'd say to, to people who are listening in, I mean, you never know looking around who's looking up to you. You right. never know who's looking up to you and, and whose faith is being encouraged and inspired and rooted and grounded because you're living a faithful, a faithful life and a humble life in, in front of them. It's such a gift. And it was a great gift to me. I had two older brothers who lived out the faith. And I mean, they were, they were older brothers at different times too. And that's not, you know, everything that goes along with that, but you know, that's such a gift to, to see people in front of you, ahead of you, living out, living out their faith in, um, in real ways, in real time. And just, if, if you are a person who has younger people looking up to you, man, you have a great, great uh, opportunity to, to witness to them. Yeah, we have an expression we used to use quite a bit with the youth ministry, and we used to tell the students that people are waiting to follow you as you follow the Lord. People are waiting to follow you as you follow the Lord. Now we just moved it from the youth ministry to the congregation, and as we follow him, uh, he uses us. But Aaron, thank you so much for making the time. Uh, we wish you all the best. Wesley Seminary Podcast, everybody check that out. Subscribe, leave a positive review, and uh, you won't be uh discouraged but you will be encouraged as it challenges your heart and as we pursue god together but aaron thanks again for being here today thanks may i just mention, mention one more one more thing yeah it's uh i just i just finished publishing a book it's called kairos care for pastors who are in the midst of of looking for a structure for pastoral counseling it's exactly why i was written it's none of it's unique to me it's not original it's just trying to synthesize good ideas kairos care uh, you can find that on online online booksellers but um i think it might be a help to pastors in a really tough season which are going through and we'll definitely add that to the show notes and make that available so uh aaron thanks again for your time today thanks jeff great to talk to you and again that's aaron perry and uh check out wesley seminary and uh, we'll get the 
um, the link to Kairos Care as well. So uh, my name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, hopeforvermont.org. And uh, we're meeting online at 8 a.m., in person at 9 a.m. And you can certainly be a part of a life group and know that you belong and we love you. And uh, we're just trying to be like Jesus, uh, sharing bread with other beggars. And he loved people, so let's love people as well. Thanks, everybody.